Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Talk Revenue Marketing Podcast, brought to you by the Revenue Marketing Alliance. In today's episode, our host, Eve Chen, is joined by Senior Executive Jennifer Arnold to discuss customer retention during uncertain times. Well, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Revenue Marketing. I am your host, Eve Chen, and today we are going to talk about a topic that is top of mind for myself, and it's customer retention. So um, when we talk about customer retentions, and I think uh, most of the uh, organization in the B2B space and really have a lot of resources gearing on into the customer acquisition side. And uh, uh, myself included in my past uh, um, roles at the Wizard Enterprise, and uh, we always focus, laser focus on the acquisition side. There is one particular uh, organization I worked with um, has you know dedicated resources on customer retention. But more than often that uh, um, most organizations really trying to chase that green fields and develop their brown fields. And um, a lot of time that, you know, our our uh, biggest asset, which is our customers, often they're not getting the attention needed. So today I really love to dive into this topic, especially in t- uh, today's climate, as we know that, you know, um, the economy uh, situation, the inflations and uh, ways the capital is tightening up as well. So uh, really chasing new customers is getting harder than before. Uh, no one is exception in this space. So um, it is really critical that that we really look at our uh, internal resources and then focus on our customers and then, you know, moving to more of a defensive mode. So, um, and today I'm really excited to bring on um, a really high caliber and uh, um, she has been in the enterprise space and for, uh, gosh, three decades now. And uh, um, she has, you know, a lot of experience in the customer retention and setting a series of programs and helping organizations like SAP, IBM, Unisys, and uh, Squeeze, uh, as well as in the thing, uh, financial sectors, uh, QBE in Australia. She also has uh, a lot of backgrounds in um, the agency side. So uh, in 2022, um, she established her own consultancy to help the B2B companies to build and run customer partner advisory boards, which is 100% aligned with our topic today. And uh, um, so she currently manages advisory services at a public sector network, which I'd like to dive into a little bit further to understand what that is all about and helping companies to achieve their government sales and marketing objectives. So I'd like to welcome Jennifer Arnold to our show today. And uh, um, Jennifer also holds a degree in mass communication from Boston University and is a member of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. So without further ado, welcome Jennifer to the show. Thank you, Eve. I'm thrilled to be here and talk to the RMA community. And uh, especially about this really important topic, because as you said, it's very, very top of mind for pretty much every marketer that I'm talking to right now. That is awesome. So I'm going to throw in some um, statistics and just in my research uh, in preparation for this podcast. And um, I've been just looking to some of the studies, you know, when it comes to uh, in the B2B space, customer retentions. Um, so one stat, you know, kind of come to kind of jump at me is that, that we all know that customer retention is really important, right, for uh, measuring the health of B2B business. But uh, um, 
I found out once that is only 18% of the companies folks focus on customer retention. And while that uh, 44% focus on customer acquisition, that is a study, I think is based on Sam Raj, I believe, uh, which is a uh, uh, SME, uh, sorry, the SEO um, tag in that space. So um, yeah, that is incredible, you know, uh, statistic, only 18% of company focus on customer retention, even that most of us know that is critical. So despite that, the, you know, um, the emphasis on finding new customer, probability of selling to a new customer, we know that is just 5% to 20% compared to the probability of selling to existing customer is 60% to 70%, according to the SENSE study. Um, and also Harvard Business Review also tell, tell us that uh, um, it is 5 to 25 times cheaper to retain an existing customer than it is to acquire a new one. So based on all these studies and, uh, um, you know, I love to understand that so from your experience and um, the clients that you work with, why there are not more B2B customer, uh, sorry, companies focus on customer retention? So I think there are a few reasons why a company might not be focused on customer retention. Uh, I've been lucky in that the companies I've worked for have generally been large enterprises, quite mature organizations. And so we've really had the benefit of resources to support customer retention, you know, marketing teams doing cross-sell, upsell activity, customer success teams, or we have product and industry consulting and pre-sales teams, um, sales yes. operations teams, delivery teams, mature partner network, you know, all of those had a role in retaining customers, but also expanding on the footprint in accounts in cross-sell and upselling. But if you're a smaller company, you might not have the luxury of all of those resources. Um, so particularly if you're a smaller company, like startups tend to prioritize customer acquisition so that they can support revenue growth as they and so they can start to show investors they can consistently add to their customer base because that's about securing future funding. Um, some of the SaaS clients I've worked with are more in that scale-up space. And part right. of the issue they have is that they had quite a limited product set. Um, so they would implement their product with a customer, a customer would start to use it, um, but then they didn't have anything to cross-sell and upsell to keep that customer sticky uh, within their, their product set. Um, and so they tended to see some churn from that. Um, right. And I've also worked with a lot of companies that have more of a reseller model, so they don't always have that primary customer relationship, and so they rely on their partners to retain those customers. Now, if right. they're in that space, you know, startups obviously at some point are going to have to focus on retention because, as you said, they need, you know, the costs are much less in terms of doing that and that you can't keep pouring, you know, into just acquisition. You need to start showing at some point that you can actually retain that customer base. Um, same with scale-up companies. The whole point they're in scale-up is that they they want to grow and they want to get to that next level of maturity. Um, and customer retention is very much about that through the ability to cross-sell, upsell, but also about adding new features so that customers will take on um, either kind of higher level subscription services or a broader range of products to really make that organization sticky within the customer. Right, yeah. So um certainly the, the challenges that you just mentioned highlighted um they, they certainly you know can be really daunting, especially when resources are very slim. But I really want to challenge um our listeners and also uh really you know like uh tapping to your experience. 
um, you know, I I still believe that it can be done. Um, even that, you know, uh, resource can be challenging. They might not have the product lined up to uh, be able to uh, cross sell and upsells and um, or you know um, some of the uh, sorry sorry the the point that you mentioned that they might be reselling through um, a channel right so they're not really directly uh, interfacing the customer in that sales process. But uh, end of the day, a lot of these companies, uh, um, even that you know sales transaction might happen through this resale channel. Um, the servicing and uh, maintaining that relation still go back to the vendor themselves, right? Um, so love to, you know, like uh, really dive into that, see, you know, uh, to, to talk about later. Some of the, um, you know, actions or um, programs, you know, can be put in place to really help out, help out um, engaging your existing customer and achieve that customer for life goal. Um, you know, despite all these challenges that you mentioned, they're absolutely real. Um, another another step I just want to quickly point out for our listener um, and really highlighting how important it is to focus on customer retention is a, a study that I digged out from Ben and the company. Um, it told us that um, a 5% increase in customer retention increases the company's profits from 25 to 95%, which is, that's incredible. So, you know, if a company is racking, you know, in company profits, say 20 millions, right? Um, and if the leader, leader simply improve the churn by only 5%, we're talking about the profit can jump by 25 to 39 million dollars just based on that, you know, quick mass that I just put together. That is a pretty staggering number. So, um, you know, the, the following, you know, the part of our podcast, I really want to dive into the how component. So, um, you know, you mentioned about the challenges and I would love to, you know, um, if you can highlight some of the examples of um, the best practice uh, or some of the companies that you either work with or um, you help with through your consulting practice that really focus on the customer retention. And I really to, uh, like to understand the fundamental secret sauce, you know, whether it's a leadership mindset or it's a cultures and what really set these companies apart from the other companies that uh, who fell at keeping, um, you know, the, the customer churn low. Um, so if you look at the, as the companies that I've worked for tended to be large enterprises that have mature practices, but what they did, I think, is applicable to any size organization at, at any stage, because they really had, um, as you said, the culture right and the structure right around how they went around customer retention. Culture-wise, right. it was recognition that customer retention is the responsibility of everyone in the organization. It's not a marketing responsibility. It's not customer success. It's not the executive team. It's everyone who is talking to, supporting, delivering to that customer. Um, because as you know, you know, customer over a life cycle is going to have many, many interactions with the company, everything from yeah. that marketing touch point all the way through to your finance team who's sending them invoices and uh, your support team who's out you know, answering their questions. Um, yeah. That experience they have at every part of that journey goes into whether or not they're going to continue to want to work with you. Um, so 
that's one of the really important things, looking at customer retention as a, a whole of organization responsibility and aligning resources behind that and making sure that everybody is working in concert with each other, cultural aspect. Culture, yeah, right. So having that customer-centric culture. Yes, that's exactly right. The other aspect from a, a structural point of view that the companies I've worked with did really, really well is that it was around the planning and insight right from the get-go. Um, so we all talk about, you know, know your customer, gather customer insight, um, you know, be customer-centric and use the data. Um, but that starts from the very beginning, which is basically about what customers do you actually want to retain? Um, it's not a, a question, you know, that you want to retain 100% of your customer base. That may not be the case at all. Um, right. So we've looked at, you know, it's the typical 80-20 rule. 80% of your revenue is coming from 20% of your customer base. Um, for most B2B organizations, they've got the big whale customers that, you know, are, are long and loyal. And, um, you know, you want to keep those on board because they're the ones you're going to be able to keep and they're going to deliver a really good profit margin for you too. Because the, um, the costs around customer retention are not just the acquisition, it's right. also... Because it's at every touch point, the longer term customers don't require as much support. You don't have to go through the onboarding process with them again. They're the ones who are more likely to, to buy more of your product or move up to a higher subscription level. So the overall lifetime cost of maintaining that customer is much lower as well. So there are benefits there, um, not just that initial acquisition cost. But there also might be some of your customers you're happy to see churn because they're actually not delivering you a good profit margin. Um, so you need to be very clear and build a profile about the type of customers you want to retain. So when you see those customers, you recognize them, you can put them, you know, segment them and then get very focused around those customers that have the highest capacity for growth and long-term value for you. Wow. Yeah, no, no, totally. That. So what I'm hearing is obviously culture, you know, the customer centric culture and being intentional. So, you know, during your planning process, um, really select the customer segments and um, that really, you know, uh, are the customer you want to keep for life. Right. And uh, um, so a hundred percent, you know, we as B2B marketers, we all know the term ICP. So ideal customer profile. Um, you know, when I was crafting ideal customer profile, do we have, you know, this intentional, um, you know, kind of picture uh, mm -hmm. about like the, the type of customer, their ideal from the retention point of view, and then really ask the why component, why are these customers are the, the customer we want for life? Um, so, you know, when I was uh, the head of marketing for Lexmark back in, back in the days, um, we had a 97% uh, retention rate, which is, which is something that uh, Lexma is extremely proud of. And um, we got to the point that, you know, we have this term called the customer line of sight. So um, we look at our, you know, 100% like what you said, the intentional piece. Um, these are the industry. We know that we want to go after and be number one in those industry. And then um, we're looking at the, the, the um, ideal customer profile within those industry. And then, you know, uh, under really get to the point that understand that our customer pain, their KPI, and then to the point that we build our team KPI, our individual KPI, 
aligning our customers' KPI, which that was something that um, really taught me a lot, a lot back in my early days in the enterprise. And, um, you know, and, and it really drive behavior. Once you have those KPIs building, you know, that is consistent across the buyer's journey, right? All the way beyond your organization, you know, to the point that, you know, you understand your customers, you know, pain points and their needs and all of that, and what, what their objectives are in a measurable, measurable manner, uh, what do they want to achieve through your solution and technology, right? So that was something that I found absolutely incredible. And that was an example that, you know, I found 100% aligned with what you just said, is being mm -hmm. that super intentional. And, you know, we know exactly the, the strategic account, um, that we're going after that will get us the, the, the reputation and then we can you know chase the lookalike clients as well in those industry yeah no that that's a, a super super true um so uh, can you also you know um tell tell us diving into you know more examples you know I really like to you know uh, dive into some some other strategies um, that you have uh, either implemented as your enterprise or, you know, help your clients to understand some of the uh, actions or, um, you know, they can take either internally or, you know, uh, with their clients um, to really build this engagement that achieve that that uh, ultimate goal, the customer for life goal. So the other one that we look at is, is not only understanding about your ideal customer profile, it's also once you have them, understanding why they leave and why they stay. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of assumptions that you can make around here. Oh, we're offering them great pricing. Oh, their NPS is good. Uh, you know, oh, no, we've got a great relationship with them. Oh, they're an advocate for us. You know, but that isn't necessarily why over the long term they might stay with you. And there, quite often when you do a review, there could be some very interesting reasons why they leave. So um, one of the things that SAP, as an example of what we used to do, is we we straight out asked them. We, we had the conversation with them, you know, if we had a customer leave, if we had a customer return. We had a deep dive into what that was. We go back and we look at the data. You know, what was it that we might have started to see some signs that, and we could have intervened early. Um, but you know, really test it with them why they leave and why they stay. Uh, right. And we had to kind of somewhat learn how to do this over time because their historical products, their ERP products, their database yeah. products were very sticky. It was very once they were in a, a business. People don't tend to take them out because it's a significant process. Yeah. Um, but more SAP moved into the SaaS part of the business, and they started to acquire uh, many companies that had, um, you know, products that were subscription based or, or weren't quite as sticky. Um, yeah. you know, they really upped their focus on customer retention. So we had a, a proper cadence around doing regular monthly and quarterly business reviews across the team. Right. Um, that at everything from product usage uh, of their end users to make sure that there's no shelfware, down into delivery, down into whether or not they had any projects in escalation, looking at the performance of partners. Um, so we did that, but then also if we had longer term customers, we would ask them, you know, so what what are we doing that's keeping you here? What are we doing well? Um, right. As well as, you know, what, what could we improve on and, and not just leaving it to NPS. The other thing that we would do at, at Unisys and Squiz, because uh, you know, Unisys was running um, end user contact centers like help support and field services for right. very large government and private organizations. Uh, and also at Squiz that, that ran 
very complex websites for universities and um, government departments. Uh, yeah. And we would also keep a very close eye on how the end users were um, finding the products. So at Unisys, if we were supporting, you know, Department of Defense uh, here right. in Australia um, with their contact center, um, we would keep, is, is there anything, you know, we'd roll out a whole bunch of new devices. Are the end users happy with that? Because what we'd find if they weren't happy and they were calling, complaining to the call, contact center and having a lot of issues, that noise moved up the chain to the decision makers. And yeah. the decision makers are getting noise. They don't want that. They just want things to run smoothly. And so if we started to you know, hear that there was some dissatisfaction or there were some issues, we would jump onto that straight away. Um, because right. we knew from the conversations that we had with our customers, we knew that constant noise would be a reason that they might start getting unhappy and might start looking for a different solution. Got you. So, so you mentioned about, you know, um, earlier, ask the customer, you know, <laughs> how easy is that, right? And often, yeah. that, you know, we feel like uh, um, hesitant um, to do so. Um, yeah. Do you, do you, in your experience, also ask the customer who left? So it's almost like an exit interview, right? Because uh, um, employees, when they leave, there's normally this process of exit interview. Um, those companies really want to thrive, sorry, aspire to be a better employer. They want to understand why are you leaving us, right? And are we not doing good enough? And so um, I wonder that, um, you know, is that something that uh, in your experience you have seen and then was done really well and then uh, turn things around in some way? I have some B2C example, which is uh, um, manage, you know, to turn customer around. And then because it's not about the problems, it's about how we handle the problem. And how we actually, you know, uh, really respect the views, you know, uh, the intention of leaving us. And uh, um, that actually saved the customer. They ended up staying with us as a result. Yeah, I think, you know, as I said, at SAP, we have very mature processes and doing exit interviews was one of those things, like a, a proper review um, for, particularly for those organizations we had deemed were, you know, must keeps or uh, you know, ones that were the ideal customer profile and we you know, actively pursued keeping their business. Uh, and it, it absolutely was the case of, of really deep diving and getting a good understanding because a whole host of reasons could come up. You know, um, particularly with SaaS software, shelfware is a problem. So you sell right. a product in, uh, you know, decision makers, business leaders go, yeah, this is our product, roll it out through an organization and then the end users don't use it or they don't use it the way it should be used. So it creates a lot of problems for them. Um, so that's one thing that, uh, you know, kind of recognizing as we moved into that SaaS journey that making sure that we intervened, if we started to see usage rates of the product drop, right. getting it early intervention, do we need to yeah. do cleaning for the end users to make sure they're using the product properly? Um, are there certain aspects of the product, certain features of the product that we sold in that they're not even aware is there, and so they're not using it? Um, or, you know, it got better over time, but, you know, are there things that the business leaders and the IT team assumed were needed by the end users and, in fact, weren't really needed by the end users? Um, so getting that planning process right, like, are you selling the right features and functionality even from the very beginning that end users actually need? 
and getting those needs aligned uh, with what we sell to them and then training and enable them, we can absolutely, uh, you know, kind of intervene early and make sure that the product's actually being used because shelfware is the, the death knell of uh, renewal within a SaaS environment. Yeah. If you sell a company a product and their users aren't using it, why would you renew the licenses? Yeah, so, no, no, 100%. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. that's not so true. So early intervention, absolutely. So that that tying into what you earlier mentioned about QBRs, and um, so when I was at Lexmark, that uh, another practice that the, that really uh, got me thinking about the life, um, the customer for life, is this practice very practice. So we have a QBRs, and with all our intentionally selected the customers and. Um, so we sit down and, uh, um, you know, really detect uh, uh, the happiness and the health of that relationship, really. And uh, Lexma obviously had a methodology with the managed print services approach. And so um, it's, it's a five-year contract typically with a, a MPS. And then, you know, every three months we go out and then, you know, present the KPI, how we were doing really, you know, helping them to kind of improve um, you know, the, the, the metrics, right? So uh, Wizlexma is really about the print less, save more. So, you know, there's a really tangible, measurable result we will take to the client and to help them to understand the value that, you know, of this relationship really. So um, that absolutely, you know, uh, the, the last thing you want to do is actually the exit interview because by then it's yeah. already quite late. Yeah. And, but the, the KPR and the early intervention, like you said, and the large, you know, large enterprise and if it's an uh, MPS, those kind of contract, it does require a team to be on top of it. But like you say, if it's a SaaS product and all that, um, your average sell value might be a lot lower. So, you know, company, like you mentioned earlier, the smaller company, the SaaS startup company, it could be a lot, you know, uh, less affordable for them to put in a team, you know, to jump on, you know, maintaining the relationship with those customers, right, with those customers. So um, other than, you know, um, the, the physical QBR, um, can you give us some example recommendations, some of the practice or things that can be put in place to really maintain that early, you know, relationship and to have that early intervention, um, you know, result happening? Yeah, so that's a that's an interesting point, Eve. So the reason that when I went out and set up my own consultancy, I decided to focus on customer advisory boards and customer communities. Um, it was very much around getting customer insight. It was about customer experience and about customer retention. These were all areas that organizations, B2B organizations I was talking to uh, were finding were absolutely top of mind. Um, so customer communities in particular, where you build a community, um, and I've been working with a few B2B IT companies doing this in Asia Pacific, uh, and actually building their Asia PAC or their global communities, is that it gives you an enormous amount of customer insight about your product, about your support, um, about how your product is being used by the end user base. And all of that information can be fed back to your product teams, your support teams, even your marketing teams uh, to, to look at um, you know, how do we build new features and functionality into the product uh, where you see users out there saying, oh, you know, I wish this product had this capability. That would really solve this problem for me. It's all about the, the chatter that's happening within those community platforms. Um, 
you know, issues about support where rather than, you know, for very niggly little problems, rather than being bothered to call the, the contact center um, and ask for help, they're right. just talking to each other and saying, hey, has anybody had this problem? How did you fix it? You know, and yep. there are ways that you can either intervene and kind of go, hey, here's some self-help that you can do, or, you know, we realized the patch was needed, so we fixed that issue within the product. Um, and, you know, or that um, there's something fundamentally wrong with the, the product here, um, yeah. you know, so we need to go back, feed that back to the product team and address that in the next release. So there's a, there's a wealth of information you can get out of communities about, you know, about why people would stay or why people would leave based on the value that they're getting out of, out of the, uh, the product and your service and the customer experience that they're having. Right. Now, Customer advisory boards are are interesting as well because in some of the tabs that I've been involved in and that I've been running, um, we would then take insight that's come out of the customer base or if we've seen an issue with churn for a particular reason, and we would use our CAD to deep dive on what that issue might be and how we might address it um, and go to these advisory customers and talk to them about, well, you know, if looking at, at your organization, how would you address this? Or what have you seen other organizations in the market do right. to address issues like this? Um, and then looking very specifically at developing retention strategies or programs of work. One of those, what I'd say the real key thing is though, is make sure that the insight you're getting and the decisions that are being made in, in advisory boards are actually getting back to the teams who can do something about it. Right. And um, what about um, organization? You know, earlier we heard that, you know, there's not really that many B2B companies focus on customer retention. So, you know, when I say that is really allocating resources towards that. Um, you know, back in the days, you know, the we heard about the term user groups all the time. And that that's really um at the technical context, a lot of you know, um, you know, IT, uh frontline IT, so the network engineers, they will join those kind of user groups because they want to listen in to you know uh, other peer customers using the same product uh solutions what challenges they are facing so they can be proactive and the company from vendor side can also, you know, jump on those issues and uh, address, you know, accordingly. So that, that itself is definitely not um, new, but our customer advisory board you're talking about is taking that further step and then you're moving really from the technical team into the business side, right? Um, right, got you. Yeah, well, you, you can have advisory boards that are more product focused as well. So it really is, um, you know, the, the idea about having customer advisory boards is that you align it to your strategies and your issues. So you can have customer advisory boards that are focused on product development that might have architects and developers, they might have end users involved in those. Um, but then if you're trying to um, build kind of bigger strategic programs that are not necessarily product focused, you can have customer advisory boards that are focused on um, particular industries um, or particular regions that might operate, you know, kind of in Asia Pacific, as you know, you know, the Japan market is very different to the Thailand market is very different to the yeah. Australian market. So um, it might also be you might have particular issues or particular strategies in specific countries or regions, um, and you might require an advisory board that's specific. 
um, to that particular customer base. Yeah, no, this uh, um, it's challenging enough. And now if you add a cultural com- component to it, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I remember those days, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they're wired so differently, the Japanese and Chinese and the Australians. And uh, oh, my gosh, it's just yeah. so many flash flash uh, memory coming back. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so, yeah, you know, like if an organization top down, they don't actually have resources for, um, you know, to allocate for forming a customer advisory board, um, what would you advise, you know, marketers do, you know, internally to really um, fight for this kind of a resources? I think as I said, it's it's a it's a team play, right? So marketing, you know, we always talked about the marketing sales connection. I don't often think that there's enough discussion about the marketing and service and support connection, um, because that really is the key to. Uh, customer retention where marketing is involved because in a lot of organizations, particularly those uh, smaller ones where the sales team might be focused on the next new customer coming in um, and they're not focused on the, the retention piece, that responsibility falls to service and support. And so it's the right. service and team or the customer success team, depending on the structure of the organization, that's going to get that customer insight from the day-to-day operations. Yeah. They're going to be the ones having the their regular contact ongoing with the customer. Um, so for marketing to spend time with them and understand how customers are using the product, what part of the product are they using? Um, you know, how are they finding support? Are there any clients in escalation? Because like the worst thing you want to do as a marketer is start to, you know, woo a customer around the cross-sell or upsell and then find out that they're actually, you know, in escalation and having issues yeah. about your product because. That's going to rub them the wrong way. Yeah, um, no, that's so true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I recall the days, you know, back in Lexmark, 100%, we have a comms team. Um, so that's basically essentially our service team and the com, um customer uh, operational manager. So they are the front line, you know, interfacing uh, our strategic accounts and feeding back all this information back to, you know, various uh, um, departments, right? Um, you know, sales, obviously, you know, for cross-sell, upsell opportunity and for marketing, really getting that insights. And then, you know, whether we need to get into the defense modes or, you know, um, yeah, go back with appropriate actions and accordingly. That's so true. So, um, yeah, you know, earlier you mentioned about like a company. W- what about those company, um, they selling through a resale channel? How would you, you know, conduct, you know, uh, such a customer advisory board when you're not selling directly to your customer? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and also we, we run partner advisory boards as well. Okay. That's that's getting a lot of attention in, in partner communities as well, because a lot of people are moving to that intermediated model um, to be able to get the scale and growth and expand into new markets. Um, yeah. So, you know, it it is being able to enable your channel partners, making sure that they have all the information that they need um, from the sale all the way through to ongoing support so that they can uh, you know, do that on your behalf, and they can deliver a very high quality service to your end user base. Um, also, making sure because that you know probably they're going to be very involved in the cross sell, upsell as well. So keeping right. them out of the 
constantly informed about new features, new functionality, but also how that applies to their existing customers. Um, so one of the things that we were, were very good again at SAP doing when we were in our planning process was doing a lot of propensity modeling. Yeah. So say, you know, customers who look like this using product X are actually getting a lot of benefit out of also using product Y. Um, right. And why those two products work well together to deliver those business outcomes so that we could go out and we can say, okay, let's find all of those customers who are not using product X or are using product X, but are not using product Y and look at how we can do a, a cross sell to them and right. be able to um, work with partners to be able to do that and identify those opportunities, skill up their team to be able to sell and deliver um, that additional product functionality, those additional products. Um, yeah. You know, and it's the more of a footprint you can get within a customer, the more sticky you're going to make yourself um, in right. terms of keeping that customer and not seeing them churn and continuing to, to grow the value that you're delivering to them. So kind of a right. channel enablement, channel support, yeah. um, again, regular channel reviews, because a lot of your reseller partners, you know, my experience is that they're not just selling your product. They're also selling many products from many other companies. Um, you know, so they could start saying, oh, you know, we're not thrilled with, you know, the support we're getting from you and the delivery, we're going to start shifting over to one of your competitor products. Um, right. So you really need to keep those those channel partners on board um, and you treat them just as an extension of yourself into those, those organizations. Right, right on. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of communication I can you know, I sense, you know, needs to happen and really communicating with your customers and, you know, your customer, uh, within your customer, there's a multiple stakeholders you need to be on top of and then, you know, bring them back to your team. And for those ones that are selling through channels, um, there's, you know, adding another layer of communication there, right? So um, do you have any suggestion or, you know, some of the best practice you have seen um, in in terms of like a really gathering those information and channel, channeling the right information to the right team. Um, can you share some some insight there for, with us? Having a, an accurate, up-to-date customer journey map is really important that looks at every interaction and, and who is doing that interaction at what point in that customer journey. Um, and also mapping to that, what is the customer data that you're gathering at that point in time and what impact is that having? Um, so, you know, there's going to be certain handoff points, you know, from marketing to sales, from sales into the onboarding team, whoever that is, onboarding into the steady state management, you know, then you get um, support involved in there, even finance. So all of these different points. Um, right. So understanding which team is responsible for that point. Um, how, what their responsibility is and how they're measuring their performance, but then having a place that that can all come back together. So whether that be through your CRM, right. um, that be through some other sort of portal, uh, again, where something like marketing can check before they do a campaign yep. as to whether there's, you know, customers who are either, you know, do not contact um, are sometimes, um, you know, if they're in the middle of a bid process, you can't be trying to sell new things to them. If uh, right. particularly government organizations, you know, the probity curtains come down and you cannot engage with them, um, you know, whether or not they've got, you know, issues with escalation, et cetera. So having a, a, a single view of customer um, right. as close as you can get 
is a really important uh, thing for all the, the teams. And then uh, again, if you've got really big customers that you are very, very focused on and uh, you're doing QBRs with them, et cetera, get yep. a broad team involved in those QBRs or at least find a way to be able to feed that information back to the team yep. when you do those QBRs. Quite often, I see a lot of this stuff done in the vacuum. Um, even the, the customer advisory boards, you know, you get the senior management team or the product team running a, a advisory board. They're getting great feedback about support, about, you know, marketing engagement, uh, yeah. about product development, but they sit on that information and don't share it out. So having yeah. that ability is really critical. Yeah. So go back to the intentional piece, right? So, you know, the, the, during your planning, really understand that how each uh, department, individual plugging to that buyer's journey, in, interacting with uh, your customer. Um, and a global company obviously has a lot more advantage. I remember, um, you know, when I was uh, at Lexma, I used that example again, the, um, you know, we were able to tap into knowledge base. It's a global system. And we can look at a global account and then, you know, some of the pain and, the, um, you know, wings, right? Um, yes. The other geographies. And then we utilize those information to our advantage and to win customers in our uh, our um, region. So that, that definitely was, you know, extremely um, helpful. And then, you know, when dealing with problems, I remember, you know, we also involved all the way to R&D team. And there's one scenario, even got our CIO involved to talk mm -hmm. to the other side of CIO because, yes. uh, um, you know, they told the same language, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. without knowledge, without information, you cannot be intentional, you know, how, how to actually proactively jump on those issues and then making sure that, um, you know, proactively prevent and also um, respond to the, um, the 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 customer challenges they encounter with your product services. That's one hundred percent true. Yeah. So um, yeah, with the smaller guys, however, you know, obviously that's a lot harder. You know, you know, a lot of time, I think at the best, you know, they have a. Um, marketing automations and as well as the CRM system, right? Um, not many have the luxury to be able to keep all this information accessible and everybody has a license logging as well. So in that scenario, um, yeah, I suppose, you know, it's more more face-to-face -face meeting or how, any suggestion there how to counter, yeah, counter well, like that. I think it's looking at, you know, maybe set some thresholds where, you know, red flags come up and right. then process in place that says, okay, if we see this happen, yeah. this team to be informed, right? So that, yeah. you know, the marketing team doesn't need to be looking at support information all the time, but the support team knows, oh, if we've got a customer who's having an issue like this, we should let the marketing team know just in case they're running a campaign. And I think that's in a smaller company, that's probably a slightly easier process to do because the teams are probably a little bit closer together um, and, you know, know who the, the person is. You know, my my last company that I worked with, Swizz, was you know, not an SAP-sized organization. It was a global, Australian-based global organization, but, right. um, you know, it wasn't a, you know, 30,000-person behemoth. Um, and so, you know, we were pretty tight team um you know so we generally knew who we needed to go to uh to tap on the shoulder and go hey this yeah. is yeah you should be aware yeah no no I love the fact that you point out at the beginning that is everybody's responsibility right and uh, um there was another episode that I recorded just last week 
um, there was the, it's actually from a sales perspective. And the, my, my guest, you know, is a top sales coach globally. Uh, the first question is also whose responsibility is it, you know, to, to generate revenue, to interact with customer um, is the same. It's everybody's responsibility, yeah. but it's knowing how do you play the part you play in that responsibility that yes. become critical. And that really has to have a top-down culture, as you mentioned, really that, you know, from a CEO level down to all the top management really champion this customer-centric um, culture. And then, then your process, you know, all of your uh, resources then can be aligned towards that customer-centricity approach, right? And, yeah. and KPIs are really critical here because KPIs quite often in business, to be honest, as is, is in much as your intention is to be customer centric, KPIs are what's going to drive the actual behavior at the end of the day. So yeah. KPIs right. are focused on customer satisfaction, customer experience, customer retention. Again, right. need to be tailored, obviously, to the role that a team plays, um, but there need to be KPIs there. Um, that talk to, you know, the, the customer that customer benefits and value that you're delivering in your team. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, the best scenarios example I, I can think of is uh, um, Disney World, and uh, um, was a customer of Lexmart, and got to the point that because the methodology and account management, um, they uh, their CIO of their share service center. Uh, is willing to use his time to fly around the world to our seminar to really sell for us. <laughs> That's really the ultimate goal, isn't it? <laughs> what we want is really tending to that evangelist and then they are actually out there doing the selling bars. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Disney is a great example of this, you know, because they say everybody down to the maintenance person in the park understands the their part in the experience that they're delivering to visitors in the park. You know, yeah. maintenance, and it's just as critical because the impact of seeing trash all over the place, you, you know, that's one of the things that's going to immediately bring down a, a customer experience and their impression of the organization. And you start to think, okay, well, if we're seeing this is not being run well at a really basic level, what's not really being run well at a strategic level? Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, it, it, you know that I think they're a perfect example of every single person in the organization understands their role. Yeah. And, and what about like a reward customers, you know, from your experience? The example I mentioned, obviously, was Disney. We literally turned the CIO to the to become a hero, not just within Disney World, right? But, you know, uh, we really built his brand as a CIO in the industry. And he loved us for that, right? So um, any other suggestions in terms of like a reward, you know, um, your your customers you know, for that kind of behaviors and it turned it into a vo uh, advocacy really for your company? It, I, for me, it again goes back to talk to your customers about it because the best rewards are the ones that customers actually value. So right. ask them what they would like. Don't just assume. Um, yeah. It may right. always be, you know, you get a discount. Maybe it's they get exclusive access to certain activities or experiences. Um, maybe they want more time with some of your experts. Maybe they want extra training for their teams. Maybe they want to have their personal and company profile showcased. Um, yeah. So, you know, there are many different ways and uh, I would find it's probably, you know, for for larger customers where you're trying to build that very personalized experience and relationship with them. Um, I think you can do it in a very customized way for them. 
um, you know, kind of broader loyalty um, programs of work that you're doing, you know, if you're a B2B company, but you're doing it at scale, um, right. you know, again, it's, you can still pull them again, you can still, you know, use your community, you know, use your NPS project to ask the question, what would be a value to you in return for, you know, staying a customer or for advocating on our behalf. Sometimes they're, you know, I've seen um, programs where you get points, like every time you do an advocacy, you speak on our behalf, or you do a case study with us, you get a certain amount of points. And you can use those points for, you know, for training, for attending a conference, for, you know, an, a, you know upgrading to a new feature. So um, yeah. it can be very, very flexible, but again, all comes back to, you know, what does the customer actually value? That is so true. So true. Yeah. Don't be shy. Ask them. Right. And uh, end of the day, we, you know, if we assume, you know, we might be hitting, um, you know, there's some type of reward behavior that doesn't really resonate with them, then, you know, really ended up wasting time and the resources. Um, so yeah, that, there's a ton of uh, um, tips you have given us, Jan. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, we're at the end of our uh, show today. So I always ask my guests the same question every show. Uh, I'm going to ask you the same question too. So if you have a superpower and it can predict the future, um, what would you say is the next big thing in customer retention for B2B cost, uh, companies? Obviously, AI and automation are <laughs> yeah. topics in not just the marketing world, but pretty any pretty much any business function. Everywhere, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think particularly around here, if you look at the valuable insights that you can get around customer behavior and preferences, right. um, used to develop really targeted strategies um, and retention activity at scale as well, if when you combine the AI with the automation element to it, right. um, you, you can use AI to look at um, personalization, understand how you can tailor your offerings and communications based on their behaviors and needs. Um, again, you can automate, you know, offers to be made to them, communication, information to be sent for your sales and marketing support platforms. Right. Uh, predicting churn is another really, you know, that's been used in some industries. Like in the um, when I was at SAP, we were working with a bank and oh, wow. the bank using AI to look at patterns and um, predict which customers were, for instance, going to close their banking account because there were certain right. things that started to do, um, you know, for instance, like they started to look up other banking products on the website, they started to pull their money out of certain accounts and put it elsewhere. Um, yeah. They might close their home loan account with that particular bank. So there were a couple of things which they started to recognize patterns that yeah. before a customer closed their account, they were doing yeah. these things. So what they would do is then they then automated specific offerings to be made to that customer to intervene. Um, and again, go to them and saying, hey, we noticed you started pulling money out of this account. Um, you know, Can you give us some feedback? And is there anything that we can do uh, to keep you as a, a customer? So um, that's, you know, very specific example, which marketing can very much take the lead in doing that. Um, then there's always things like chatbots and virtual assistants um, yeah, to right. provide, you know, quick support um, and customer feedback analysis. So pull all of that feedback that you're seeing in your community chat, in your social media, in the NPS surveys and the QBRs 
and yep. pull together um, and use AI to identify at scale where those common themes and areas of improvement are. Um, and I think as you start to put those tools in and, and it takes a lot of that manual process out, which means, again, it comes back to this resource issue. If you're really resource thin, yeah. um, being able to use this technology to help do this more at scale and take that manual data crunching off of your plate um, is really where I see this going. And it's getting so sophisticated yeah. so quick um, that it's something that marketers wouldn't be able to, marketers or really any team wouldn't you know, can't bury their head in the sand around it. That, that is so true. Yeah. You know, so AI, the potential and also, um, you know, it's getting so sophisticated. Definitely, you know, um, uh, we're definitely going to um, cover a topic on that uh, AI marketing applications and for our listeners. Um, but yeah, you know, the, there's the one thing that will add, add to that is, you know, using AI really need to execute um, thoroughly and properly testing, testing, testing before you roll it out. Because uh, I certainly have uh, been on the website with chatbots and I get so frustrated because I'm being just, you know, routed in circles and um, it's no difference to, you know, uh, offshoring solution, right? And uh, um, there is uh, uh, one example I can think of. It, it is with the banking um, service provider as well. And I've been routed 20 people and every single time I have to repeat my story. And I got to the point, I've just, uh, you know, drove to the local branch and say, I'm closing my account. You know? <laughs> Basically. So I think technology AI is fantastic. Yeah, exactly right. If they can see that, you know, someone is actually making 20 phone calls, or yeah. <laughs> so 20 touch points, that is pretty seriously <laughs> wrong, right? <laughs> So, no, that's fantastic. We are so grateful to have you uh, on the call, Jennifer. And uh, um, if anyone wants to understand a bit more about customer retention and uh, really learn from your, your experience, um, setting our customer advisory, partner advisory boards, and how can people get in touch with you? Uh, well, I am on the RMA Slack channel. So oh, anyone fantastic. I would really, really recommend, and also in the LinkedIn group, I would really okay. recommend if they're not a member of RMA and those channels that they join, because there's some really great conversations going on there. Yeah. Um, uh, my business is called Jennifer Arnold Consulting, uh, pretty straightforward. Um, and so they can find me on LinkedIn uh, as well. I'm, I'm up there and they can reach out. Uh, I think it would be the best way to connect with me. That is fantastic. I'm definitely going to send you a direct message on RMA. I do not know that you're in the Slack channel. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, thank you so very much, Jennifer, for coming on the show today. Uh, if our listener love to get in touch uh, with Jennifer and you know how to find her, uh, RMA Slack channels or LinkedIn, um, just you know, typing Jennifer Arnold, you'll be able to find her. Thank you so much again, Jen. And as always, thank you to our listener for tuning in. I'm your host, Eve Chen, and this is another episode of Let's Talk Revenue Marketing. Until next time, let's keep talking about revenue marketing. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out our other episodes for even more insights into the world of revenue marketing.